When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 284, and we are recording on May 28th. I'm Jen Worthington. I'm here with Amanda Nelson. We are coming to you from Book Riot, and we are recording a little bit early before our long weekend. Mm-hmm. And so, in the future, you've already had a Memorial Day. I hope it was a nice one if you're in the U.S. <laughs> Fun. Yeah. I'm actually, well, we were going to do barbecue, but now it's supposed to rain all weekend. So that's probably not going to happen. Yeah. My mom has a giant Memorial Day party every year. Well, not last year, but every year normally. And her husband's name is David, my stepdad. So they call it Dave Stock. Right. Because they live in the middle of nowhere. So like his friends come and like camp in the farmlands around the house. And mm. It's like a whole, it's like it's Dave Stock. So Dave Stock was supposed to be this weekend, but it's not because of the weather. But I'm still going because she has a pool. So. Ah, I don't care if it's raining or not. I'm getting <laughs> in the pool. I don't care. So if I come back next week having struck by, like struck by lightning, you'll know what happened. Let's avoid that if at all possible. <laughs> all right. Well, hopefully as you are listening to this, nobody has been struck by lightning. Nobody. <laughs> Onward we will go. So as we said at the top, this is a show for personalized reading recommendations, which means you can send in your request and we might help you to find your next great read. It can be for you. Maybe there's a specific type of book that you're looking for. Maybe you have an uh, opportunity to get something for a friend or a relative or a book club and you're not sure what to pick. You can send any and all of those things into us either by email, getbooked at bookriot.com, or you can drop them in the form that's at the bottom of the show notes on the site for every episode. And if you have a time-sensitive request you're hoping to hear back by a specific date, please put time-sensitive all caps either in the subject line of the email or the very first line of the form, and we will try to get back to you. If we're not going to get back to you on air, we might email you, so keep an eye out for those. All right, we have a bunch of feedback from listeners today. Summer says, for the listener looking for a talking cat, there's a great middle grade series by Jessica Townsend. Book one is Nevermore, The Trials of Morrigan Crow. Morrigan is cursed and blamed for all the mishaps around town, fated to die at midnight on her 11th birthday. Wow, that's like some heavy stuff. Uh, <laughs> see, she is whisked away to a magical world just in time and meets Finestra, a magic cat, giant sentient gray cat who is head of housekeeping. Which <laughs> that's, that's fun. Uh, let's see. Elizabeth has a recommendation for April, looking for fantasy books with a strong female lead. I highly recommend the Emporium Trilogy, with the first book being Furyborn. It has quickly become one of my favorites. Follows two women 1,000 years apart, with one destined to save the world and the other destined to ruin it. Hmm. 
And then from Kelly for Charlotte, who was looking for Japanese books, a bunch of picks. Ruroni Kenshi, which is manga, by Nobuhiro Watsuki, which is about a samurai who fought in the Meiji Revolution. And then Moribito by Nahoko Uehashi, which is a light novel, a novella that reads like a manga, about a wandering female warrior pulled into the bad job of protecting the emperor's son from supernatural influences. And then a bunch of big Japanese literary names, Keigo Higashino, who wrote Malice, Banana Yoshimoto, who wrote Kitchen, Hiromi Kawakami, who wrote Nakano Thrift Shop. Thank you, Kelly. That was very extensive. Mm-hmm. All right. <laughs> Thank you all always for writing in with your suggestions. Okay, Amanda's going to read our first question, and then we will get with the recommending. Okay, our first question is from Jessica, who says, I'm writing because my boyfriend and I are both avid readers, and we want to read something together. The problem is we read very different genres. He likes historical books and books about leadership. Some of his favorites are Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell, Atomic Habits by James Clear, and Think Again by Adam Grant. I like romance, fantasy, and literary fiction. I'm open to reading nonfiction, but it's kind of hit or miss. I got an ARC of Miseducated by Brandon P. Fleming, and I really like that. I'd be open to reading a self-improvement book with him because I think that might fit the bill. Some of my favorite books are The City We Became by N.K. Jemisin, Beach Read by Emily Henry, and The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue by V.E. Schwab. All right, let's hear from our first sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Harper Muse, publisher of Troubled Waters. Troubled Waters is an intimate portrait of two generations, a granddaughter and a grandmother, coming to terms with what it means to be family, black women, and alive in a world on fire. In heartfelt lyrical prose, Mary Inez Hegler weaves an unforgettable story of the climate crisis, black resistance, and the enduring power of family. Narrated by Janice Abbott-Pratt and written by climate justice writer Mary Anise Hegler, the Troubled Waters audiobook is available everywhere May 7th. It follows Corinne as she plans to stage a dramatic act of resistance and peels back the scabs of her family wounds and puts her safety in jeopardy. Both grandmother and granddaughter must bring their unspoken secrets into light to find a path to healing. Known for her essays that dissect and interrogate the climate crisis, drawing heavily on her personal experience as a black woman with deep roots in the South, Mary Inez Hegler brings us her first work of fiction titled Troubled Waters. Make sure to pick it up. Thanks again to Harper Muse, publisher of Troubled Waters, for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Bloom Books. Charming, easygoing, and rich, Xavier Castillo has the world at his fingertips. He also has no interest in taking over his family's empire, but that hasn't stopped women from throwing themselves at him. Unless, of course, the woman in question is his publicist. The cool, the intelligent, the ambitious Sloan Kensington, who is a high-powered publicist who's used to dealing with difficult clients, but none infuriate or tempt her more than a certain billionaire heir with his stupid dimples and laid-back attitude. She may be forced to work with him, but she'll never fall for him because he's a client and that's all he'll ever be, right? Right, girl, like we all know. So just in case you didn't know, author Anna Wong is the best-selling author and book talk viral author of the Twisted Love series, the King of Sin series, Miss Wong, got it going on, okay? Make sure to check out King of Sloth by Anna Wong. And thanks again to Bloom Books for sponsoring this episode. Okay. Um. All right. A book for a girlfriend and boyfriend to read together. I picked Educated by Tara Westover because your dude needs to read some ladies. Like, that's a <laughs> long list of 
dudes that he's been reading. <laughs> um, and I had so many trigger warnings for this one. It's brutal. Uh, child abuse, harm to children, really, really gross injury stuff. Like if that gets to you, like really graphic depictions of injuries, especially like burns and domestic violence. So I picked this one because you said you like miseducated. This is not in any way related to that book, but books about like the educational process or the idea that literature and education is a way out of a really difficult situation is a theme that's in both of those, both educated and miseducated. So I think that will scratch that itch for you. It's not a self-improvement book at all, uh, but it is about one woman like improving her life a great deal through education. Um, So it kind of, you know, like it's threading the needle. It's really fast paced narrative nonfiction. And I think that it will work. So it's a memoir. Tara Westover was raised in the mountains of Idaho by a very fundamentalist, survivalist Mormon family. To the like, they aren't allowed to go to hospitals ever. Hence all the like gruesome injury stuff. They run a what's it like a uh, salvage kind of operation on the mountain. So there's a lot of opportunities for these kids to get injured. They aren't, they're like, quote unquote, homeschooled, but not actually schooled at all. Like no one is educating these kids. Her mom is an herbalist and runs a business doing like making essential oils and things like that, which she still runs. Uh, You can find it online because I absolutely Googled it after I was done reading this book and it's still out there. Um, So there's a lot of violence. There's a lot of fundamentalist religious stuff. Her father is a big conspiracy theorist. There's a lot of depictions of like, you know, he thinks that the world is ending in Y2K. And when it doesn't, he has like a total mental breakdown because he doesn't know what to do with himself and stuff like that. So she teaches herself math, like enough math and enough English grammar to get admitted to BYU. And she leaves home. She goes to BYU and has a terrible time. Like she has been educated in zero things. So like she doesn't know what the Holocaust is. She doesn't know who Martin Luther King Jr. is. She has no idea that racism is a thing. She's never seen a black person ever, like in her entirety of existence. So she embarrasses herself like big time when she's at school. Because for all of these reasons, like people think she's joking when she raises her hand in class and is like, what's the, ho- what is the Holocaust? Like, what is that? And it just, you know, it just doesn't go over well. But she like carries on. She's trying really hard to make a life for herself that doesn't involve her abusive family members. But that does involve members of her family who she still has a connection with. And threading that needle is very hard because her family refuses to admit that anything about the way that she was brought up was bad or wrong or abusive in any way, including like direct physical violence she experienced from her brother. So eventually she finishes her undergrad. She goes to Harvard. She goes to Cambridge. She becomes a really well-known writer and academic. And, you know, her parents decided that she's been lost to like the liberal, whatever, global elite, blah, 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 blah. This sounds all very QAnon-y, but this is like the 80s because she's our age. Um, so it's like very, it's dark. It doesn't have a clean resolution because she is a millennial. And so her family is still out there believing these things and acting this way and doing these things. And she's estranged from them, but is still like holding out hope that eventually they will, I mean, there's not ever going to be common ground about their beliefs about the way the world works, but she hopes that there is a way that they can at least have some kind of relationship. And to right now that has not happened. So it's like, it's it's tough. It's a tough read, but it's very engrossing. She's such a great storyteller. And I think that, yeah, it's like, you know, she's not out here talking about habits to get yourself to the gym or anything. But the way that she's talking about improving her life is, I think, a lot more, I don't know, just like applicable <laughs> to, to everyone who doesn't want to form it, who doesn't want to form atomic habits. I'm not like crapping on James Clear. I love that book. But anyway, so that's Educated by Tara Westover. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of caveats. Yeah. 
I also did not exactly pick a self-improvement book because I got, I got, here's what happened. I was looking at the list of books that you like, and I was looking at the books that he likes, and I was thinking about how there's an interesting thread between the two in that there's a lot of social science Mm -hmm. involved in like Outliers and Think Again, and then obviously... The writings of N.K. Jemisin, for example, are deeply informed by social issues. And I was like, oh, you know what you two should read is The Fire This Time, which is an essay collection edited by Jasmine Ward. And this collection is so good. And I think it will be a really interesting reading experience for the two of you because it contains a bunch of different writers who are working in different styles. So some of these essays are very social science-y and academic about race and racism and how it plays out in our world. And some of them are much more personal and like memoir And then, you know, one of them's a letter to an unborn child. Like they, they, they're really different in tone and execution because of course they are. Like this is a broad, you know, cross-section of people addressing this topic. And so I just think it would, it would give you so much to talk about. And there are probably going to be pieces that resonate more with one of you than the other. But then there might be pieces that resonate really well with both of you, which could give you some ideas as to, like, future reading projects together. Like, these are all writers who are great also. So, you know, getting them on your TBR would not be a bad thing for anyone. And, yeah, I just I think it's such an interesting collection. And I remember when it came out, it was like... It was so nice to see all of these different perspectives on this issue of race because, you know, it's easy to like read one thing about it and think that you understand (laughs) what's Mm -hmm. going on and like what the problem is. But actually, there are myriad problems and there are a lot of different ways to approach them. And we need to like keep looking around and not just get like pigeonholed into like, okay, I read this one thing and now I understand everything. Like that's not (laughs) how it works. So I, for so many reasons, obviously, like a lot of reasons why I think this is a great pick for anybody, but particularly for the two of you. So again, that's The Fire This Time, edited by Jasmine Ward. All right. Our next question is from Quinn, who says, I'm in desperate need of some book recommendations. I'm usually a really big reader, but I've been in a bit of a slump lately and I'm hoping you can help me. I don't really know what I'm looking for. I'm a teenager, so YA, and I really enjoy cuddly romance. I don't like pining, so the sooner Mm -hmm. the couple gets together, the better. But I don't like books that have romance as the whole plot. Also, the romance doesn't have to be male-female. I also like 1920s detective stories, sci-fi with ensemble casts, good omens type books, and epic questing stories. I only ask that it's not super heavy slash dark. There's minimal pining. It isn't a comic or graphic novel, and it was something that will hold an average teen's attention past the first few chapters (laughs) and has a snarky side character that isn't a human. That is a lot of things, Quinn, (laughs) but I think we can help you out. Amanda, you want to talk about your pick? Sure. Um... I like cherry picked a couple of items in your list of things that you like and came up with Iron Cast by Destiny Soria. It's 1920s. It's not a detective story, but there is a mystery element. It's a sci-fi novel with an ensemble cast. It's a big good omensy. Like it's got that humor. And there isn't a ton of romance. It's not cuddly by any means. There's like some romance, but it's very much a subplot um, and not the focus of the whole book. I don't think there are no non-human snarky side characters, but every main character is snarky. So you'll get plenty of snark. <laughs> So this book takes place in 1919, and it's about two best friends, Ada and Corinne, and they 
are quite unlikely best friends. Ada is the daughter of immigrants. Corinne is a white heiress who has run away from home. And they both work at a nightclub in Boston called the Cast Iron. And in this kind of alternate history, people, some people are born with a particular blood type that gives them kind of magical abilities where they can make people believe they're seeing things, kind of weave illusions. Ada and Corinne both have this. One of them uses storytelling to make the illusions happen. The other one uses music. And they work as performers at this nightclub where rich people come in to, you know, be put under an illusion on purpose. It's very much like a like an experience that they're paying for. The catch is that practicing this kind of magic is illegal. And in this world, people who are caught doing so are sent to asylums where they are experimented upon and generally very much like oppressed. During the day, Ada and Corinne use their powers to run cons on the wealthy people in the city, which is like quite a satisfying subplot, I have to say. And during a job, they get caught. Ada is sent to one of these asylums and Corinne has to gather this kind of like ragtag group of people to bust her out. And while she is in the asylum, Ada discovers this like big political plot that she gets involved in. And there's also a political, not political, I guess it's kind of, it's like gangster politics. Like there's a, because the guy who owns the club is a a gangster in that kind of 1920s Al Capone sort of flavor. And he's got rivals against across the city. We're trying to get the club shut down. So there's a lot going on. And it, the you know the, the main kind of mystery at the center is like who is behind the oppression of people with these powers and behind the plot on the club. And are those two things linked? And so it's really a friendship novel. It's about these two girls and their kind of struggle to survive together against this oppression, also against poverty and against like their families kicking them out of their homes and all of these struggles that they're facing. It's super, super fun, despite the fact that what I just said does not sound fun, <laughs> like so, oppression, struggle. But it's got like, it's so swingy, you know, like that like 20s kind of vibe um, in Boston and a jazz club. It's great. So that's Iron Cast by Destiny Soria. My recommendation is Cemetery Boys by Aiden Thomas, which I think, yes, like Amanda, I have cherry picked some things from <laughs> your list. And this also does not necessarily have a snarky side character that isn't a human, but it does have some very entertaining dogs who, if they could talk, would be snarky. And there are plenty of snarky human characters. So Cemetery Boys. Oh, right. Content warning for dead naming and transphobia of various kinds. It is the sweetest Mm. story. It's a ghost story. It's also a love story. It's also a murder mystery. Like, it's got a lot of things going on. Uh, The main character, Yadriel, is part of a Latinx family that has a long tradition of magic. And it is sort of divided along these gender lines. So the men in the family like do this thing where they get a special dagger and they dispatch ghosts who are like, it's time, it's their time to move on. And then the women in the family have different power. And Yadriel, who is a trans boy, is like very desperate to prove that he can do the magic that the men in his family traditionally do. But like nobody wants to believe him. They're not like super comfortable with his transition. And he's really facing a lot of in-family resistance to who he is. And so he decides that he's going to like go rogue and perform this ceremony that nobody has is letting him do. And uh, he... He, like, 
accidentally summons a ghost, but then he finds out that there's like these murders going on and he gets a crush on the ghost he summoned. Whoops, like that's complicated. Hashtag complicated. Mm. And they have to like figure out like all of these things. And it is so like there are very intense moments and obviously like some very serious things going on, but it also has so much humor and sweetness and like the way the love story develops is just so like it's like the warm fuzzies all over myself and yeah I just I think you'll find it very enjoyable in a lot of different ways and absolutely engaging it's a page turner and I just love these characters so much Maritza who is Yadriel's cousin and like bestie is so fun I love her like because she's a vegan and there's like blood magic involved and she just (laughs) her stance on this is just amazing like it's amazing it's amazing it's extremely good so again that's Cemetery Boys by Aiden Thomas that's amazing (laughs) it is it's so good All right. Our next question is from Louisa, who says, I graduated college six years ago and find that the friendships I formed then remain the most intense to this day. I'm in close touch with these friends, but as an international student who moved back to Europe after finishing my degree, I've seen some of them in person only once or twice after graduation and others not at all. The nostalgia for the days when I could just knock on their dorm rooms is real. Can you recommend books that capture the tight-knit nature of friendships formed during a formative period in one's life in close quarters? Please nothing about friendships buckling under the stresses of adult life. As I said, we're still close. I'm just looking for a comforting, intelligent read for moments when I particularly miss my friends. All righty. I picked The Interestings by Meg Wallitzer, which takes, it starts in the 70s in a summer camp. And it's six teenagers who are at a summer camp for the arts who become very tight-knit friends. They call themselves the interestings because they are insufferable. And they, in that like super special way that teenagers who are gifted are insufferable. I say this as a person who was one of those insufferable people. And they're, you know, they have different kind of artistic abilities. Some of them are visual artists. Some of them are musicians. One of them, Julie, who's kind of our main character, wants to be an actress. And then you follow them as they get older and move on into middle age. And they do not, they stay friends. But there are caveats, like two of them who are visual artists get married and become very, very, very famous and wealthy artists doing like a Pixar kind of animation studio. And the rest of the friend group achieves varying level of success in the arts, but mostly not so much. Like one of them who is a musician becomes an engineer. Julie, who wanted to be an actress, becomes a nurse. And that kind of economic disparity gets bigger and bigger as, you know, super wealthy people always. (laughs) That gap between super wealthy people and people with irregular incomes gets bigger every year, kind of no matter what. So they stay close, but evolve, which I think is an important way to think about long-term adult friendships that started when you were younger, uh, especially that started when you were kind of in forced proximity and then don't have to maintain that forced proximity as you get older, because you're going to have stuff like that. Like you're going to have, oh, she got married. I'm not married. You're going to have like some comparisons. You might have a little bit of jealousy, even if you don't personally, maybe other people in your friend group might There's always that struggle of like, my career is or isn't what I wanted it to be. And you've got to be there for people when they're feeling those feelings and also hope that they're going to be there for you. So it's just like the book touches on a lot of struggles and obstacles that people can face when they are trying to stay friends as they get older, but they manage it like they stay close. It's very, you know, NBC friends, (laughs) lots of obstacles and struggles, especially about class and stuff like that. But eventually... The power of friendship endures. I'm making weird hand. I'm making weird hand gestures, but it's true. So that's the interestings by Meg Wolitzer. Yeah, friendship 
It's an interesting question. And I went back to, for me, what is a touchpoint book for this, which is Rich and Pretty by Ruman Alam. And this is about two friends. It's not like a whole group, but, you know, here we are who became close in high school and like went through college together and just have been best friends for forever. But now they are in their 20s and starting to have extremely different lives. As you might have guessed, one of them is rich, one of them is pretty. <laughs> and they that is like showing up in different ways. So like Sarah, who is the one who's got a rich family, she works at a charity, like she doesn't have to have a real quote unquote full-time job. And she's planning a wedding and like making all of these, you know, future life choices. Whereas Lauren, who is, you know, very like she's working her way up class wise, she's single, she's working at a publishing company, which is like not exactly going to help you roll in money. Uh, And, you know, everybody around her is like, what are you doing with your career? Are you dating anyone? You know, asking those questions that if you are a single woman in your 20s, you start to get more and more and more. And the two of them are looking at each other and being like, oh, am I jealous? Do I think she's making awful choices? Is it both? Like these very normal questions that come up when you start to grow in different directions. And then things kind of come to a head over the course of planning from the wedding. And they have to figure out, like, are we still friends? How do we still be friends with these differences? And they do figure it out. Like, spoiler, they figure it out. But what I love about this story is that they like they take these very complicated questions that are really hard to look at. Like, I just don't even know if it's possible to look at objectively when you're in it. Like, your feelings are your feelings and your life is your life. Like, it's really hard to get yourself some perspective about how these divisions happen. But there are still ways to work through it, even if you can't, like, be completely objective about it. And I love to see that process. And, like, yeah, how do you repair that? And so it's very satisfying in that way. Uh, So, again, that's Rich and Pretty by Ruman Alam. All right, our next question is from Caroline, who says, I want to get my dad a book for Father's Day that we can both read and discuss. He can be a bit of a quote, old white man, unquote. (laughs) And I'm looking for something that casually centers a non-white, non-Western culture and preferably has some strong female characters. He primarily reads Jack Reacher style thrillers and the occasional high slash epic fantasy when it falls into his lap, generally of the Lord of the Rings variety. The Poppy War by R.F. Kuang is the closest thing I know of to what I'm looking for, but I'm hoping to find something I haven't read before. I hope that the book can generate some conversation slash thought about social justice issues today, but please don't make me talk about explicit (laughs) sex stuff with my dad. Mm. Well, Caroline, I feel you on that. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I'm just going to keep talking. So I picked Jade City by Fonda Lee, which is the first in the Greenbone saga, which I believe is now all out. Are all three of the books out? If not all three out, one is coming soon, I'm pretty sure. The last one. And I picked this because it's a little bit of like high fantasy and then also a little bit of like thriller. It's got both things going on. Also clearly not written by a white man, right? Just written by Fonda Lee. And it is set in a very, like, alternate Asia situation. So, but it's, like, very much a plotty page turner. And I think that it's the kind of book that you could be like, oh, yeah, it's got action. It's got, you know, family saga. It's got these two warring, you know, organizations. And also there's some magic. Like, it's a very hooky book that, like, anybody, I think, could be interested in. And so the setup of this is that in this kind of modern 
island of Kekon, there is jade, which is a stone we know. But in this situation, jade has magical properties and can help enhance abilities in people who already have them. And so there has been this huge war, but the war is over. And there's a new generation of, you know, sort of like mafia who are trying to protect their businesses and their people. They're trying to corner corner the jade market and control the supply of jade, which also means they control like who can use their powers. Uh, And all of those things, there's lots of international intrigue, like other people want in on this, even though they can't use it quite the same way. And then there's this drug that's like mimicking the powers, but is very, very bad for you. And so it's very like, it's almost godfathery in that way. Um, And you're following several of the siblings in the Call family, which is one of these rival clans, who are trying to figure out, yeah, like, how do they lead the family? Do they even want to be part of this? Like, what are, there all these action sequences. It's really fun. It's really immersive. I just love this series so much. And there's pretty minimal, like, content aside from violence. I will give a content warning for child abuse that is referenced but is not exactly on the page but yeah that's jade city by fonda lee all right i latched on to the jack reacher thing Um, (laughs) and so i have picked blacktop wasteland by s.a cosby because jack reacher is about very masculine competence porn and blacktop wasteland is also about very masculine competence porn but the main character is black and it has a lot of stuff to talk about with social justice issues so the main character's name is Bug. He is a car repair what that's their mechanic. There's a word for that. Car <laughs> repair person? That's not a thing. He's a mechanic. He owns a mechanic shop uh, outside of Petersburg in Virginia, which was a trip, let me tell you, cuz I recognized every place that they talked about in this book. And so he uh has, you know, a family. He's taking care of his mom. She's in a nursing home. She has cancer and he's married and he's just kind of doing the thing, right? Like living his life. He also used to be the East Coast's best getaway driver um, for heists and cons and robberies and various and sundry, you know, criminal activity. He's an excellent driver and repair person mechanic, as we have established that as a word. And so he's out of that life. Like he's trying to make a legitimate way through the world without having to resort to any of that. But it's tough. His mom's Medicare is being denied. Like he's just got all these bills. It's just tough. There's like a lot of racial tension in his town between himself and the white owners of a rival mechanic shop. And he's just trying to make his way. But then there's like one financial issue after another. And then he gets offered a spot as the getaway driver in like one final heist a diamond heist it's a robbery of a jewelry store and he agrees to do it because he's you know got all of this these problems to solve that are just insurmountable Um, and business is not good so he agrees to do one last final thing and so you're with him as he prepares for this heist executes it it gets totally bungled by a couple of the other people in his crew and then he's got he finds himself like enmeshed in this awful situation with a, a criminal like what's the word overlord i don't know gang a gang person out of west virginia who he has like accidentally crossed and so that guy starts threatening his family it's just a lot it's just a lot it's very fast-paced i will tell you that i picked up this book on a saturday afternoon and i finished it at like 2 a.m that saturday because i couldn't stop it's like it's like you're in the car with him. It, my blood pressure was in my in my neck. You know that feeling? We're just like, <laughs> oh, God, what's going to happen to this man? And he is not a nice person, Like, the, which I kind of feel is similar about Jack Reacher. Like, this is somebody who you know has 
done things that you do not approve of. And he is currently on the page doing things that you do not approve of. But he's so good at it that you're kind of like, I want you to be good. I want you to win. Like, I want you to be successful. Also, people like ter- terrible people are threatening his children. And like, I'm yes, please murder them. That's I'm here for this. I'm here for that particular form of violence. Someone's threatening your kids. But it's just it's so like hard and fast and fascinating. And he's so good at being a criminal and like a, a a driver. I don't know. It's just great. It's like Fast and the Furious, but more social justice and less ridiculous. <laughs> I love the ridiculousness of Fast and the Furious. Let me just say that for the record. Okay, so that's Blacktop Wasteland by S.A. Cosby. Oh, it's time for our next sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Song of the Silks Realms by Judy Eyelid. Shi Wei is a talented young musician who was orphaned at a young age. Her sole family is a kindly uncle, but then her uncle is killed, and she is, of course, devastated. With no family and no patron, Shi Wei is facing the possibility of a lifetime of servitude playing the chin. Then one night, she is unexpectedly called to perform for the enigmatic Duke Meng. He surprises Shi Wei further with an irresistible offer. Serve as a musician in residence at his manor for one year, and he'll set her free of her indenture. But the Duke's motives become increased more sus when he and Shue barely survive an attack by a nightmarish monster. It's like, what, <laughs> what's going on here? So this book is a sweeping epic romanticy that follows a talented young musician who is swept away to the celestial realm by an enigmatic young duke. And who doesn't want to be swept away to the celestial realm by an enigmatic young duke? She's living all our dreams, honestly. Make sure to check out the new book. And thanks again to Song of the Six Realms by Judy Eileen for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Flatiron Books, publisher of The Familiar by Lee Bardugo. This is one I'm actually super excited about. I liked Lee Bardugo's other adult fantasy books. And so I'm really looking forward to this one. It's set in the Spanish Golden Age during a time of high stakes political intrigue and glittering wealth. It follows Luzia, a servant in the household of an impoverished Spanish nobleman who reveals a talent for little miracles. Her social climbing mistress demands Luzia use her gifts to win over Madrid's most powerful players. But what begins as simple amusement takes a dangerous turn. Luzia will need to use every bit of her wit and will to survive even the help of Guillén Santangel, an immortal familiar whose own secrets could prove deadly for them both. So The Familiar by Lee Bardugo is on sale now. And like I said, it's a must read of the season. It's perfect for anyone who loves history, a little bit of magic, a lot of danger. You can get your copy now at LeeBardugoTheFamiliar.com. And thanks again to Flatiron Books, publisher of The Familiar by Lee Bardugo for sponsoring this episode. Okay, question five is from Vera, who says, I wonder if you have any recommendations for a nonfiction or fiction book for LGBTQ plus community allies. As in, I want to be able to explain things better if I get into an argument with a conservative person. Okay, Jen, go ahead. All right, I picked a memoir. It is Sorted, Growing Up, Coming Out, and Finding My Place by Jackson Bird. And I will give a quick disclosure that Jack is a friend, but this book is great regardless. I would recommend it anyway. So Jack was 25 when he came out as transgender and he had been part of like extremely publicly part of the like fandom community and like was a YouTuber. So it was a lot of public coming out. It's a lot. 
And in this memoir, he takes you through, like, you know, growing up in Texas in the 90s and, like, not understanding that being transgender was a thing you could do. And, you know, these epic fights with his mom about, like, what he wanted to wear and how he wanted to be in the world. Um, And then going through college and, like, trying to figure out, yeah, like, what? How do I identify? What is it that I'm looking for? Like, what am I trying to be? And, like, is this it? Like, I don't know. And then finally, you know, finding what it was that he wanted and how he wanted to express himself and his gender. And he's doing a ton of defining, explaining, like really digging into the baseline information that I think a lot of, you know, allies and certainly a lot of more conservative folks who haven't done any reading on this just don't have. Like you, the language, like what do the words mean? What is the feeling? Like how does it express itself in your life? Like these are all things that Jackson is really diving into. And there's like little sidebars that are very easy to reference. Like it really is very deliberately laid out to be a tool of education as well as expression for his own story and like, you know, just like telling his tale, as it were. Mm. So I think it's a really great read, both for allies and for people who are like, I don't want to use the wrong word or I don't even know what the right ones are. Like, how do I like what is the information that I need to have? Like Jackson is laying it all out for you as well as telling his own story. It's extremely relatable. So, again, that is Sorted by Jackson Bird. All right. I picked God and the Gay Christian by Matthew Vines, because when you say that you're trying to have a conversation with a conservative person who has an issue with the LGBTQ community, what you're probably actually saying is that you're having a conversation with a Christian or some other fundamentalist religious person. So even if you yourself are not religious or are not Christian, I think that this book will help you understand where they're coming from, like the foundation, the foundational arguments that or the foundational parts of the text of the Bible that they are having issue with or taking issue with. And so if you can speak that language with them, I think you're much more likely to find a common ground to help them come out of taking it so literally or thinking about it in a very specific black and white kind of way. So Matthew Vines was a pretty conservative Christian. He still is a Christian. He is also gay. And so he went on this kind of personal journey of trying to figure out how modern Christianity or modern fundamentalist Christianity, I guess, came up with its stance about homosexuality because it's not actually very biblical. And so he goes through its exegesis is like the term he goes through the text itself. He goes through the history of the Bible, the history of like Christianity. It's very meta, like theological analyzations to figure out how we got to where we are now in the church. I say we, but I'm not part of it anymore. Anyway, it's also partly a memoir. So you can see his own personal journey with like accepting himself and trying to maintain his faith while reconciling all of these issues together. Um, So again, even if you don't personally like care why Christians think that gay people should not exist, uh, if you are having a conversation with one or like arguing with one, I think that this will give you I don't want to say like ammunition because I don't like thinking about the conversation that way, but it will give you an understanding of the place that they're starting. Because if you can't, if you don't even if you're not even speaking the same language, then like, what's the point of having the conversation? But you obviously want to have it. So yeah, so that's God and the Gay Christian by Matthew Vine. All right. Our next question is from Brooke, who says, I'm on a kick of loving books that examine the alternate histories of the forks of personal choices. I've read The Nine Lives of Rose Napolitano, The Midlight Library, and Rodham lately. Can you recommend others with that road not taken angle? I, just side note, loved The Nine Lives of Rose Napolitano. What an interesting book. 
And yes, we absolutely can recommend <laughs> books like that. I picked My Real Children by Joe Walton, which does come with a content warning for domestic violence. This one is so interesting because it's so it's not only gives you two alternate timelines of one woman's life, but it also is set in a further alternate version of our own world. So it takes like when you story opens is 2015 and Patricia, our main character, she's like she's in a nursing home. She like people, you know, treat her as though she has dementia. She forgets things like, you know, what are her kids names? What year is it? But really what's going on is that she's remembering different lives. She, in one life, she married Mark and she had four kids and it was a terrible marriage. And like she had to like figure out how to get out of it once her kids were grown. But she also remembers having three children with her wife, B. And like there's a bomb that killed President Kennedy or except that maybe, no, there was like a different thing. Like there's a nuclear exchange that took out Miami. Like what? And so she is trying to piece together for herself, really, because obviously nobody in her life else experiences this or believes like what she's trying to express like what lives did she live and it is so well done it's so interesting and like looking at the way that yeah a life can fork at this one you know touch point of like do you marry this person and if you do what happens and if you don't what happens but the way that joe walton ties it into you know the broader like state of the world is really really fascinating and something that I feel like you don't necessarily get with, like, for example, Rose Napolitano. It's very hyper-focused on this one life, but this one goes out a little bit more in a really fun way. So again, that's My Real Children by Joe Walton. Okay, so my pick for this question is Landline by Rainbow Rowell, um, which is about a married couple named Georgie and Neil. And when the book opens, their marriage has, is troubled. It has been troubled for a while. They're not really communicating. They both still love each other quite a bit, but there's nothing there there if you know what i mean like it's just bleh. they've had a couple of kids and two days before they're supposed to go to omaha for the holidays to visit neil's family georgie tells him that she can't go she is a writer for a tv show and like some work stuff has come up and she can't go and she knows that he's gonna like hate it because he seems to hate like everything that she does these days but he takes the kids and leaves anyway like she kind of expects him to decide to stay and spend christmas with her that's not what he does he packs up the kids and he goes to omaha without her and so she's at home by herself for the holidays and you know trying to figure out if she's like just ruined her family and her marriage um and then a landline phone shows up and starts ringing when she picks it up it's her husband but like as a young man before they got married before they got together and so she starts talking to him and she is, you know, she knows that she's talking to like Neil from the past, Neil who does not know that they are married, Neil who was still young and bright eyed and bushy tailed and didn't have all the same issues that she's got with him now. And so it presents this kind of alternate path for her of can she convince Neil in the past to not marry her so that she wouldn't have to go through all of this pain of like potentially ending her family and being a single parent and all of that, maybe not being a parent at all, because if she doesn't get married, she's not going to have these kids. And so she has these options of like, I'm going to remember the things that I love about him because I'm talking to him before we had all these problems. Or I'm going to convince him that when he eventually meets a girl named Georgie to like not get together with her. So there's these, you know, kind of fork in the road options, which is the same thing that all the other books that you like have. So that's Landline by Rainbow Rowell. Alrighty, our last question is from another Brooke who says, I just found out that my kid got into a great magnet school and will be starting kindergarten there in August. 
It's incredibly diverse, both economically and racially. I'm so excited about this opportunity for my kid and for me to hopefully befriend people different from us. I'm also aware of how my social skills are pretty lacking and wondered if some fiction around this type of situation might help. Do you have any recommendations for me? Okay, Jen, what you got? All right. I have a graphic novel that was recommended for this question by Hannah Gomez of Hey YA. And I read it and I was like, yep, I can see why Hannah recommended this. Mm. It's called New Kid by Jerry Craft. And like theoretically, it's sort of I mean, it's about a, a middle schooler who is starting over at a prestigious private school when what really he wanted to do was go to art school. But his parents who are like, you know, middle class. He lives in, you know, a neighborhood of New York City that's like fine, but not like fancy. And now Jordan is going to start seventh grade as a black kid in this like, oh, not that diverse. Like there's some other kids of color, but like not that many. And a lot of the kids there are very fancy and have a ton of money. And so he is trying to figure out like also he doesn't even want to be there in the first place. Like he wants to be in an art school. So he has to figure out like how he's going to navigate this situation. And what I love about this book is that it gives you like all of these social experiences that Jordan has that are like so hard for him in ways that are not overt. Like nobody is, you know, calling him racial slurs, but one of his teachers is always calling him the name of another kid of color. And like, Mm. you know, people are making assumptions about him and his family and his life because of his skin color, because of his class, all of these things. And so you're like, oh, right. Like you're seeing it from the perspective of the kid experiencing them, which I think is so great, both like for if you are a kid who has experienced this, like I'm sure it will be very affirming. And then as somebody who is white and like a grown up, it's like, oh, right. Like, don't say these things to people. It's very straightforward. So, I mean, it's not very straightforward, which is why it's hard. But like if you start to think about it, it becomes clear that these are very easy traps to avoid. Like just if you just think about the assumptions that we make about other people and then don't say things about those assumptions, you are like you're getting there. Like that's the way to go. Mm-hmm. And I think for so much of like social anxiety or like feeling like you don't have the right social skills is being afraid of this exact thing of saying the wrong thing. So like I know for myself, I always just like I just want a list of things I shouldn't say. But like Mm. that's not how it works. Like it just you're never going to have a comprehensive list of things you shouldn't say. So like how do we teach ourselves, you know, how to interact with people who come from different places with us? The answer is not to make assumptions about their experiences. The answer is to ask questions that don't presuppose a specific answer. And I think this book illustrates that so well and like why that's important. So, again, that's New Kid by Jerry Craft. Also, I will say I'm just thinking about this out loud. So this is like I said, it's about a seventh grader, but it is a graphic novel and the art is really good. And I think you could read it with a younger kid. I don't think kindergarten is necessarily the right age for it. But like, you know. I, even first or second grade, you could look at it together and talk about it if that was a thing you wanted to do with your kid. I also picked a book for ki- for kids for this question. It's called New Kid, New Scene, and the subtitle is A Guide to Moving and Switching Schools. It's by Debbie Glasser and Emily Schenk. And the reason why I picked this is because it has interviews with kids who have done this exact thing. And most of them are a bit older, like older elementary school up to high school. So I don't I don't remember there being like kindergartners in it. But I think everything is pretty applicable. And of course, you can take the experiences of the much older kids and kind of apply it to yourself. Because a lot of that a lot of that social awkwardness like is the same for, for parents as it is for like a teenager. And so she's talking about like, 
how not just how to make new friends, but also how to maintain your old relationships back in the place where you were, um, how to fit in without barging in, which I think is a quite mm. nuanced sort of thing to navigate, whether you're a child or a parent. And also, like, another thing I think is really important is she talks about, like, how to be happy with your own company while you're waiting to adjust to a new social life, which, again, applicable mm. to children and also parents. Um, and the way that she interviews kids who are experiencing uh, these specific challenges themselves and lets them just, like, talk about their own experiences is so great and useful. Uh, and I think, like Jen was saying, you could probably share much of this with your kid. It's, a, I mean, not just because a kindergartner is young, is that maybe not applicable, but like a kindergartner probably doesn't have past school experience to compare mm -hmm. a new school to unless, you know, they've got preschool memories that might be a little bit different. But even just the idea of like, you're, you're about to spend your entire day doing something that you've never spent your entire day doing before is like a new adventure and reading about other kids who have experienced the same feelings, even if not the exact same situation might be helpful. And then the older kids experiences you can apply yourself. So that's New Kid, New Scene by Debbie Glasser and Emily Schenk. And that's our show. Thanks to our audio editor, Jen Zink, for having to deal with the many technical issues we had during the recording of this <laughs> episode. Thanks to you all for listening. We so appreciate you. If you are looking for more recommendations, you can get those at bookriot.com. You can also get even more podcasts at bookriot.com slash listen. We have loads of them. And if you are so inclined, we would super appreciate it if you left a rating and or a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps other people to find the show. And we do love to see that feedback come in. Thanks go out to our sponsors for making our show possible. And in between shows, you can find us on social media. Amanda, where are you at? I'm on Instagram at I'm Amanda Nelson. And you can find me on Twitter and Tumblr as Jen IRL. That's Jen with two N's IRL. And you can find me on Instagram as I am Jen IRL. And we will talk to you next week. <laughs>